Well, hi there. Welcome. Episode 135. 135? 135. 135. Episode 135 of the Life in Red podcast. Follow us at lifeinredpodcast.com or at lifeinredpodcast everywhere across the internet. Uh, my guest today, um, a very heavy conversation, but I think an important topic that we've talked on in past episodes, no doubt, um, about other people's stories. But what's interesting about this particular story and my guest um, is there a trauma coach, a trauma recovery coach? So we talk a little about uh, what that means, what that kind of looks like. Uh, we also talk about her story and how uh, she came to be and fall into this kind of line of work because it's, you know, it's one thing to experience your own trauma and live your own story and then try to follow your life and pretty much live the rest of your life trying to recover and heal. Um, so it's a completely another thing when you turn into somebody who's going to try to help people, um, try to take people along the path. And especially in a world, especially in the Western world, where we live in a world of I, um, Western medicine, that's not a bad thing, but sometimes we're focused on, oh, well, you know, maybe it's pills or maybe it's um, some sort of uh, pharmaceutical intervention or something along those lines uh, to have somebody that is there for you and they're with you to work uh, with a therapist or work with your doctor or answer any questions that you may have or steer you and guide you in the right direction. And that's what my guest does um, every day. And I think that is absolutely remarkable. Um, you can find more about them. Um, they are blossoming from within on the internet. So please give it up for my guest, April Haggard. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, April, thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, well, as we record, sort of gloomy, cloudy, less humid day here in Ottawa. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Um, you came to me after um, sort of an episode we both did on uh, our good pal Angelica's uh, The Revolutionized Mind. So obviously this episode is gonna be mental health and everything. Um, you are a trauma recovery coach. But I'm super curious, um, just to start off and sort of get a context of everything that you do, what is a trauma recovery coach? I know it sounds sort of self-explanatory, but what sort of are the things that you do and how does that maybe differ or help maybe work in tandem with something like uh, going to see a therapist about something with trauma? Yeah, so I like to first say like we're different from life coaches. So a lot of people think like I'm a life coach or I'm a therapist. Mm. And I'm not trained in therapy. I am no training that at all, though our program was designed. One of the ladies who designed it is a former therapist, but she noticed um, things missing in the therapy field to help trauma survivors. And a lot of us trauma recovery coaches are trauma survivors ourselves. And the best way they describe it in the association is the Therapists are like the surgeons, frontline, they're dealing with the crises and all that. Like, I'm not trained either to deal with crises or anything. So, but as coaches, we come in as the peer, the mentor, we're helping you set your recovery goals. It's all client-led. There's no talk therapy. Clients dive into what they want to dive into. We're not diving into their traumas or past. We... Basically, if they're in the ditch, we go sit with them in the ditch. We meet them where they are. And like, I have both. I have my own therapist and I have my own trauma recovery coach. And they actually work really well hand in hand together. Because when I'm doing therapy, I knew it was something was different in my own journey. So then I reached out to one of the coaches in the association and being coached with her. And it's like, okay, now things are piecing together better. Now things are making a little bit more sense in my journey. Because I'm setting different goals. I'm 
starting to dive into more of my trauma responses and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's like trauma recovery coaches were on that line with the therapist, but we're kind of like, if you need to talk about your mental health or your crisis, we'll work hand in hand with your therapist, but we're not trained to do any of that. We're not trained to diagnose or anything. We're just there to help you in your recovery part. So like uh, a team, you know, um, you're working together all as a team to sort of help people get through whatever they're, they're sort of going through and, and recover from whatever they did go through. Exactly. So I want to talk about you. Um, and I know you're very forth, forthcoming with your story, but I also know that trauma um, and recovery and everything is, is a, a deep subject. So go into your story as deep as you would like to go. But uh, kind of maybe start from the beginning. Is mental health something you've always sort of struggled with, um, or at least maybe like within sort of your your life, your family, um, or did it all come from sort of whether it was I'll let you tell the story, but the event or the events that that happened to you? Yeah. So my story actually starts back in 2012 um, with my first diagnosis of depression, but I was actually showing signs and symptoms way before that. And so that was my second, you uh, second semester at university, but in my first semester and I was, I just moved away from home. I was a transfer student. So I was taking courses in first, second, third year. And by the second week, I knew something was off. And I went to the guidance counselor or the counselor on campus and I was showing all the signs and symptoms of depression. He just looks at me. He's like, you're homesick. Just go back to your apartment. You'll be fine in two weeks. Well, the new semester in 2012 came in. I'm like, something's still off. And so I was six hours away from home. Ottawa's home for me. Grew up here. So I came back to my family doctor and the resident, they do the PHQ-9 test with you for depression. It's a paper test, but it's all like, all these things about how you've been feeling in the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. And he looked at my responses. He's like, yeah, you have depression. And my family doctor said, you most likely went undiagnosed for years. And I think it started when I was sometime in high school. But at that time, I didn't know my depression was a root cause of something deeper. So I went through, you know, going on medication. I was able to come off it in two years, figuring out what healing meant to me. And then in 2016, after an unexpected breakup, I ended up being diagnosed with anxiety. And at that time, I didn't know my anxiety was the root cause of something deeper. In early 2019, I was in a mall in London with my then boyfriend, now fiance, and I was assaulted. And that triggered me that still on my traumas I still like don't want to deal with because the way it makes me feel I feel sick to my stomach with that one um so that was like a slow ball that got rolling for that one and then in well January 2020 I moved back home and everything was downhill from there I started experiencing insomnia flashbacks you know my anxiety was through the roof and I couldn't figure out why And my other therapist at the time, I was starting to piece things together. And I was like, okay, like, I don't remember much about my childhood. And your subconscious mind has a way of blocking out certain things that you're not ready to deal with. But it was just like a lot of other things were coming up for me. So I sat down and I wrote down all these different traumatic events I went through without realizing they were either complex PTSD or PTSD. So throughout my life, I have been through bullying. So I was bullied from elementary all the way up to my first year of college. I was verbally sexually harassed. I was assaulted, as I mentioned. I've been through, I survived various kinds of abuse and most recently medical trauma. So days before the very first lockdown, my doctor diagnosed me with PTSD. And then months later, when I started with a new therapist, she also diagnosed me with complex PTSD. 
So the difference between the two is PTSD is a single time event and complex it's where it's repeated over time. So more like those like combat zones and childhood abuse sort of mm-hmm. thing. That's what the examples they use for complex. And then the medical trauma comes from my endometriosis. Because my body just likes to murder me mm-hmm. on a monthly basis. Like, so it's just been a lot of, like, it was all one things at once. It was trying to handle everything, but I decided to use my story to not only inspire others and get the word out about PTSD and all that, but to also like start something. And I decided to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. Was, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know even though you may do it a number of times and do interviews and speeches, every time you do it, it does take a little piece. Um, and I know that. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. What was, was there, what was the light bulb moment where, because that's what I'm always curious with people who sort of like advocate and get into a more community led role when it comes to this. W- what was the moment that was, that took you from trying to heal, trying to get better, trying to, you know, work on yourself to, I also want to help other people with this. Was there a, one particular moment? Was there several moments that led to that decision? Take me through that. Ever since 2014, when I finished my internship on the military base in Petawawa, I knew I wanted to do something in mental health, Mm. but I didn't know what. And it took my own diagnoses to be like, okay, this feels right. And I started, I had like a personal public Instagram account, but it wasn't really mental health driven at that point, but I was still sharing parts of my journey. And I kept being told I was in beach body at the time. They kept saying, you got to stop being sharing the negative. You got to stop being this. You got to put this positive spin on it. I'm like, no, that's toxic positivity. No, no one's going to understand really what you're going through. If you're going to put the positive spin on it. Like, I don't put a positive spin on my hard days. Mm-hmm. I don't put the positive spin on, like, I'm going through a flashback, but, like, that doesn't exist. So I had to, like, also distance myself from them, actually completely leave Beach Body. And that, at the same time, I was starting my certification in the trauma recovery coaching through the, they have a really long name, International Association <laughs> of Trauma Recovery Coaches. Tongue twister. It is. And my degree is really long too. So I want <laughs> tongue twisters. But it was through that that I knew at that point I was going to build something. And I was already rebranding at that time when I started that course. And I've always been that person who knew I was called to help others. I always knew I was meant to do something in my community. And living in smaller cities and towns throughout Ontario, because I moved a lot in like six years, um, the resources were really different. When I was living in Renfrew, I didn't have the same resources as I did in Ottawa. Stratford was different from St. Catharines. Mm-hmm. Actually, I compare everything to Ottawa. Um, and I was like, I want to create something virtually and keep speaking because those smaller cities and towns don't have the same resources. They don't know what's really out there. And so it's just different parts of my own healing journey and all that is what took me to what I'm doing today. And also like, I have a background in recreation leisure. That's what I studied in college and university. And when I was first diagnosed in 2020, I'm like, Okay, I'm falling back on this. I did research on myself. And through Mm -hmm. that, I found like, I'm healing in different ways. So that's what I also brought in and bringing forward is like, healing is more than yoga and medication and meditation and all those things. 
So it's just like, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. I don't quite remember it. <laughs> it's, um, it's a little bit of all those things too, right? It's not just one or the other. Um, I always like to say in my speeches when I'm talking to people that it's like a combination of things. You're working through this whole sort of different routines and nothing's right or wrong as long as it's like it's working for you. You get to kind of choose what you implement in your, your own journey. Um, uh, trauma is, trauma and PTSD is something um, we've covered on, the, on this podcast a, a few times now. The way I hear you describe it, so obviously you had the, the significant event in, in London, um, but what I, what I really took from your story is sort of all these things that, that I think society sort of minimizes in a way. So you mentioned bullying, right? We consider that as sort of like part of our childhood, like the rite of passage. You talked about, you know, sexual harassment and, and everything. And you know, women now are being very loud and vocal, rightfully so, about the effects of that. But I think for a long time, and especially, you know, as we were growing up, like, you know, that, again, that was just a normal part of sort of an everyday thing for a woman. Um, all these things you were kind of talking about that led to this diagnosis of, of CPTSD. I think, again, society doesn't really think uh, as, uh, as a big deal. I'll use air quotes there for those listening. Can you speak to the effects of sort of these things? Um, again, these led to very, like a very severe outcome for you. How does, like, does it feel like sort of like every day with that stuff happening, someone's tearing a little piece from you? Like, talk to me about those feelings of not so much, because when we think of PTSD, we think of like the veterans or we think about this like very serious event. We don't think about, the things that just are ongoing like every day how did that like sort of really affect you um and how did it make you feel like what was sort of like going through your mind yeah so the one thing we like to say in bus one myth is a person doesn't experience the ptsd right after a traumatic event it can take years hmm. for me it took i'm trying to remember how old i was in 2020 um 29 it took me like that long to realize I've been through everything and healing is a cycle. It's not linear. It goes through up and down. Um, I can be in one part of the healing journey, like in growth for one part of my traumas and another one, I can be in denial stage again. I go through good days and bad days when I'm having flashbacks or I'll use my assault, for example, because that one still eats me up to this day. I will deal with flashbacks and night terrors still to the point like my insomnia got so bad I had to get put on sleeping medication. I will have angry outbursts and that's completely normal. Like we, we all get angry. We, we never make that connection between our emotions and feelings. And then we usually get shut down for being, being t- trying to talk about our emotions and feelings. There are days I'm crying. There's days I feel absolutely numb. I have no emotions. Like I'm trying to show up on social media myself and I'm just like, I can't. And I get honest. This assault actually still makes me physically sick whenever certain parts of it comes up. Um, Because there are still people out there who think it was my fault or they get in their heads like, you know, they try to make excuses for that person. And it's like, you are not there. You did not witness what happened. So I still deal with the, so this guy reached over to me on the escalator. I was looking the other way with my fiance and he ran his hand up my arm and I felt it. And I stood in shocked because when we looked down the escalator afterwards, him and his buddy were laughing and I called my dad and I'm like, what do like, do like and he's like you were assaulted go report this so we had to go report it to the mall security who really didn't care we um reported it to the police and my future brother-in-law is actually a cop so I said to my fiance I'm like can you just call your brother and it's like 
I, I wasn't sure like what was going to happen because I've never had to do this before. And so like the cops didn't really do much. So there was like a lot of like frustration and hurt. And I still deal with those emotions to this day. And then there's days where like, I'm perfectly happy. I'm, you know, I'm not dealing with flashbacks or anything. I'm just a normal 31 year old woman. So there's a lot of times where something will trigger me and I work with those triggers and then I have to go and, but in my healing, I became more aware. Okay. This is my trigger. What boundary do I need to set? And I need to sit with these feelings and emotions instead of stuffing them and just trying to go on with my day, which I still do. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you get minimized that, because what I find, like what I've learned through, you know, years of doing this podcast and years in the mental health community is that like uh, um, an assault, we sort of place as like a, we, we sort of like have a hierarchy for like severity, right? We kind of are like, this is the worst. And like, you know, and then you go down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oftentimes we might minimize something that we perceive as not being as egregious as maybe something else yet tend to like I said sort of minimize the victim and be like oh that's not that bad Uh, or you know like oh it could have been worse or you know something like that whereas like the victim you know is feeling everything exactly like the body almost doesn't distinguish sort of like the hierarchy that our other people do, right? Like our body and our mind perceive the the assault as like, it's just the assault, the violation of our privacy. Do you deal with that? Do you sort of, whether it's external or internal or or anything, do you grapple with sort of that sort of idea of the way we would, we, we view assault as maybe like a culture and a society? There has been times, like there's still a stigma and I've seen it with the different kinds of abuse too. Um, through different people reaching out to me and talking to me and even like domestic abuse is still like the one on the high hierarchy right Right. but then like the emotional and financial and those type of abuse it's like as you said minimalized and it's like there's that stigma of oh you could have had it worse or I did like I lived this so I had it worse and it's like that doesn't make it right no one's trauma should be compared to someone else's trauma. No one's mm-hmm. experiences should be experienced, be compared. Because we all deal with things differently. We all like the severity is different to everyone. Like a car crash, a car crash, for example, one person may develop PTSD while someone else may not that doesn't diminish the person who has PTSD from it. They might've been in a different situation with it. They might've been sitting somewhere different in the car, but their story and their diagnosis is still valid. Mm -hmm. And it's something with society that we're still dealing with to this day of, you know, as you said, you could have had it worse or, you know, you at least you're not living here in this war country or something. And that's kind of unfair to say. And really, that's also to people who are saying that are not very trauma informed. And sometimes they also have their own things they don't want to deal with on deal with themselves. So they're just pushing it all away. And I, that's that's your shadow at work there, because your shadow will mirror your emotions and everything in others when you don't want to acknowledge it in yourself. So a lot of times when we get those diminished feelings, it's either because people are not really trauma-informed or they're like not dealing with themselves. And here as trauma survivors, we're taking the brunt of it all. Yeah, we're, um, that's a great point. I think a lot of, a lot of what we see on social media, a lot of sort of reactions to things, you know, I think in a way is a trauma response um, that, they're triggered in a way and then they're sort of like they're deflecting 
the way they're feeling on you or, you know, again, the minimizing, which I always, I always think like, oh, well, I, I went through that and I was fine. Well, one, again, I love that you said, don't compare traumas. And two, are you really fine? You know, like, it's like the people on social media, um, whenever the debate about spanking kids comes up, they're like, I was spanked and I'm fine. Like, but are you, are you sure? Like you're commenting on Facebook about this. Like, are you trying to tell me or are you trying to tell yourself? Um, and I think, you know, I think almost all of us in one way or another have, have experienced some form of physical, emotional, mental trauma. Um, and then we just see like a large part of the world just, or population just not deal with that and never, ever try to deal with it. Yeah. It's kind of sad that people don't want to deal with it, but then like it's a lot of work. Like you have to be in the right mindset and the right place to do it. Like when I got my, the diagnosis first, I wasn't like, I knew I wanted to get help. I knew what I wanted to do, but I wasn't in the place yet to do it. And then once I was, that's when I started reaching out for help. And that's the other side of it. A lot of us survivors are afraid to reach out for help because of that stigma, because of like how it's perceived, how we're always told like, therapy or nothing against therapy but I know it doesn't work for everybody mm-hmm. or they had those bad experiences or like rehashing our stories over and over gets so much harder like there's times and I was saying my story earlier like I could almost start crying and that's perfectly normal that's perfectly okay like this is what I have to live with for the rest of my life but it's like I wish social media would show more of that truth instead of the people as you said with the spanking being like oh I did it I'm fine like as you said really like they might be totally fine because their subconscious mind is protecting them or they just don't want to deal with the truth and there's just so many influence influencers out there with the toxic positivity with saying like one way of mental health and it's like no, like, do you really understand? Do you really get what's going on? And I actually stopped following those kind of people because they'll all, they'll all of a sudden say to me, like, doesn't matter. Or I had someone say on one of my posts, like, I was talking about inner child healing, about these different emotions that you, you know, your anger outbursts and these things, and it's perfectly okay. Cause that's your something inside you trying to need to come out. And this person's like, grow up. Yeah. That's a big one. And I'm like, I, I didn't have to defend myself. I had followers go defend what I was saying, but it was like, really dude. Like, do you have anything else better to do with your time? than go and be a Karen. That, uh, yeah, that, hap- that happens with me all the time too. You know, talk about men's mental health and, men's mental health um yeah just but then you see it for what it is after once you know it's like you see it in all things you like someone is lashing out you're like oh yeah i i get it you know i I triggered you i'm sorry um it makes sense one of the things you brought up that i really want to touch on here you mentioned i was i wasn't ready um but then when i was i tried to get help you know like people aren't in that point where they're ready to, to heal. Because like you said, like healing is hard. Um, the resources we have, we're still in a patriarchal society. Um, and when you think about things that are traditionally supposed to help the medical field, um, therapy, those types of things, right. The view that sometimes even professionals and stigma around women or black people or indigenous people, whether it's from their own ignorance or their own biases is still, rampant um so it can be you're right it can be scary um and it it can be hard harder than maybe someone like me who's trying to get help how do you get to the point where you're ready how do you get to that step where something's happened you're trying to deal with it but you're not quite ready to to take that step how did you get to that point how do people go about getting to that point where they can really start moving forward I think it depends on the person and where they're at. So as I mentioned, like my, 
depression diagnosis was undiagnosed for years and I showed the signs and symptoms, but I didn't go get the help because it wasn't talked about in the early 2000s. Whereas when I was, my diagnosis in 2020, I've already been through two diagnoses that I'm like, I just knew with all my symptoms and everything that like, I couldn't keep living this way. And usually when a person's to a point of like, I can't keep living like this, I want to be able to hang out with friends again. I want to be able to live. I want to live the life I want to, I want to be happy because that all exists inside ourselves, but you just have to be in that mindset because you cannot be in denial for what happened to you. You cannot be in denial for the emotions and feelings you face. Cause I, in my business, I do a lot of the inner child work and shadow work. So it's like, you can't be in denial of those feelings and you need to be ready to know you're going to take a few steps forward and then five steps back because it's not linear. And I knew I was also ready because I knew I didn't want to work with men in for my own professional circle of care, just because majority of my abusers were men. Mm-hmm. So I honestly did research. I researched what was out there. I researched different therapists, their backgrounds. Um, and just, it's different for everybody for where they're at in their journey, because I've seen it where I've had some ladies book discovery calls with me and then end up rescheduling that day of their call. And it's not because it's something I did or they did. It's to the point of, Oh, I have this and I'm not quite ready. But taking that first step to book that call is a huge step. And I like give yourself on a pat of the shoulder for that. But taking that next step is going to be like, it's almost like a talk with yourself to be like, okay, like I can't keep living like this. I need to do this next. And it's like that planning out steps. And it's like, as we do in coaching, we set those goals, but we break them down into action steps. And I think that's what I probably did is I knew what I needed and I broke it down. But I also knew like being from recreation and leisure, I decided to be like, okay, I'm going to try watercolor. I'm going to try wood burning. I'm going to get back out in nature. So it wasn't just services I was looking for. I was also falling back on activities that benefited me. So sometimes people are not ready to make that step to reach out for help. They can be like, okay, we all find a community to be a part of, which are actually very hard to still find those communities. Or they could be like, I love nature. I'll start spending more time in nature. So even steps like that are good steps to take if you're still scared to reach out for that professional help. You've mentioned um, shadow work a couple of times and inner child uh, work a couple of times. Um, for people who may not be familiar, you know, can you describe that a little bit? And like what goes into sort of, I mean, it's a complex sort of process, obviously, but like what are some of the things you, you, you do to start working on that or start recognizing it? Yeah, so the shadow work is like these sides of us, like those feelings, emotions we don't like, like our judgment side, our angry, like those type of emotions and such that we just bury. We just dismiss them like, oh, they don't exist in me. And we keep ignoring them. And the point of shadow work is to acknowledge them and to work with them, to be like, okay, you're here. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to see what you need. It's not being like, okay, angry Alice, call her that. I, I, I name all my emotions. This is what they say in shadow work to do. And it's like, okay, what do you need today? And if I sit with that feeling, I don't dismiss it. I'd be like, hey, what's the root cause of angry, anger? And if it's being reflected back to me in a person, it's like, okay, where in my life am I angry? And there's a bunch of different exercises and everything. I actually started shadow work with my life coach before I started doing trauma recovery coaching. So I'm back to reading a book and these different exercises to bring into my practice 
And then the inner child is what well, we often hear the reparenting of the inner child. And I don't like that word. I, I really don't because our inner child is like that three-year-old or 12-year-old or 15-year-old, like any age of us inside ourselves who was wounded when we were younger. And a lot of times people are like, well, sit and meditate or write to them. And it's like, that doesn't work for everyone. So this is where I bring in again, recreation leisure, because it's like you heal through play. Like I know inside eight-year-old me, because I had a conversation with her, um, Mrs. kicking around a soccer ball. And it's like, okay, I need to go kick around a soccer ball. I, I can't at the moment because tear in my hip but it's like I know these different things through exercises I've done so a lot of these inner child and shadow work is done through different exercises by someone who's trained in it or like me is taking what I'm learning like there are self-help books but those are really written by the person who's going through the issue at hand I find self-help books aren't the greatest because they're not really helping you but like for inner child playing, I always say, let out that side of you that wants to play, that wants to get creative. And it's just this week I started being back in shadow work and I'm like, okay, we're going to acknowledge these sides of you that you're dismissing again. But you have to be in the right mindset as well for these two type of healing. Mm-hmm. And I, I say like both these type of works are beautiful because you start to take off the layers of what your abusers molded you to be. You start peeling back that mask and you start to find the side of you of who you're meant to be and you're rediscovering who she or he is. And a lot of that has to do with the inner work. So it's like, it's it's like two things at once. You're taking off that mask and then you're redefining yourself. I use a, an example uh, of myself um, without, it's like loosely knowing these, these terms, but doing it without ever naming it as I go back to the beginning of the pandemic and sort of how I had to pick myself up from a, a very low spot. Um, the inner child work, the play, you know, I bought a bike. I started playing basketball and just shooting some hoops because I used to do that as a kid, you know, playing computer games. It's almost like sort of in embracing the hobbies um, that just bring you joy for purely bringing you joy. Am I sort of along the right track track for that? You are. Like you said, you started playing basketball again, like you did as a kid. And so like you're answering something within yourself without even realizing your inner child wanted that need. Mm -hmm. And like, that's really great. Like the pandemic really started people with picking up different hobbies and activities again. But then there's the other side of some of us are afraid to get back into old hobbies and activities because of bullying, of like a traumatic event. So then it's about discovering all new activities. For me, I never watercolored until last year. I never considered myself an artist. I'm not that bad, but it's like sometimes if you can't do something that, you know, you used to do. Or there's something that interested you in grade seven, eight, I was okay at art. And I'm like, that's what kept coming back to me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to explore this a little bit more. So sometimes like it can come to us, like when we're not even, like you said, thinking about it, it just comes. And we just feel like, oh, I feel like doing this today. Is that one of your paintings behind you? No, my uh, (laughs) fiance made me uh, a sunflower for my birthday gift. Very cute. Thank you. Um, with your experience with bullying, um, I'm sure there's probably a lot of like self-doubt, uh, a lot of questions about yourself. Was it difficult for you to go on this new venture to start a business, to put yourself out there? on the, Like I know when you're passionate about something, I feel this too. In a way, you sort of like don't care what other people think because you're like, this is what I want to do. But I think a lot of people are passionate about things, but don't want to start something because they're either, they have trauma of being sort of like ridiculed for for whatever they're chasing, um, or they're afraid of 
you know, the anxiety of like the future, what are people going to say? Was that sort of difficult for you to, to make a decision like this and like really put yourself out there? And if so, how did you go about getting over that feeling? My inner critic still likes to come out to like self-sabotage me. Like she'll never go away. Mm-hmm. And I did have that fear because I did have two little other businesses I did try to start and they both failed. And throughout my life, I've been told like by bullies and, you know, like I'm not good enough. I won't succeed. And those are thoughts I still deal with. Um, and it's about working through those blockages. I actually had a breakthrough the other day when I did hypnotherapy with my friend. She's trained doing it. And I was always skeptical about it at first. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Like my financial and career is where there's a huge blockage because again, that fear that I am not good enough. It's going to fail, you know? And we, I found out where they came from. It came from those type of people trying to mold me into someone I wasn't. And because as I mentioned, like I already had an account at the time when I was talking about my mental health story and I just rebranded it because I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump in, but I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to like, I start working with Jan Ditchfield at that time. She's been on the podcast. Yeah. So I, found her through other businesses and accounts that I was following. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do this business. I want to help others. I have this goal and I don't want my own thoughts to sabotage myself. And honestly, working with her, going through her boot camp, her business academy, and now being part of her membership society, it's really helped me along the way. Because if I didn't have that support, I'd probably be drowning right now. I probably would have never found your podcast. Like for me, it was about believing in myself and knowing I can working with my inner critic because we all have inner critics. They're always there. And just reminding myself, my past doesn't hold my future in its hands. So just doing all that and just believing in myself, like, trust me, I still feel like my business is going to fail some days because it's a brand new field. Mm-hmm. Like, tra- like we still deal with the, some therapists who think they should be the only ones doing, working with trauma. When it's like, no, you like, there's so many different fields that can work with trauma people. And so I'm still dealing with that stigma and that little bit of setbacks there. But I just have to keep reminding myself on those harder days with the business, with the Karen days, you know, that I remind myself of what other friends and followers have said to me. And there's some days where I've been very vulnerable in my stories or in my posts. And they're like, thank you for sharing this. Like, this is what I need to hear. Or messages of like, I didn't know this was trauma. I didn't know this was what I was experiencing because we also talk about those different like trauma responses, right? So there's fight, fight, flight, fawn, freeze. So those are the most common ones. So I've had people and I talked about them. They're like, I didn't realize this was a trauma response. So I just have to keep reminding myself that I'm doing good. It's going to be a slow growth. And there's going to be days where negative Nancy is going to come in my head. And be like, you can't do this. And all those past, you know, flashbacks at times. But just reminding myself, like, I've already come so far in my journey that I can keep doing this. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you mentioned a little bit off off the start, I know you, you talked about endometriosis. That's something I've covered and how much that affects women with the medical trauma. Uh, we talked about you know, how much harder it is, uh, how you didn't want to deal with men in your, in your recovery. And while there are women who are therapists, you know, it's hard. So I think this as an avenue um, for women, um, you know, people of the LGBTQ community, uh, people, you know, from marginalized communities. um, I think this is a really great avenue that could help them in ways that the traditional 
the the one the you know the the system the system we sort of already have set up that's overburdened as it is, you know, this is a nice augmentation of that that can really do a lot of good for people who traditionally have mistrust of the system and and the people who are sort of in power and in place, you know? Yeah, for sure. And also being like a lot of times as trauma survivors feel like we're most heard and most understood by someone else who has experienced what we've gone through. And usually therapists don't really say if they've gone through it or if they, you know, what their experience is, unless you ask the question, but a lot of people don't know to ask Mm -hmm. those questions. And sometimes, as I said, talk therapy is not always doing it for someone and they need that person who can be that role model to them and not be like, why didn't you hit your goal this week? But instead of being like, okay, let's break down why you didn't and how we can break this down so you can meet a little goal next week or what the blockage is. So it's more of like getting on that level of the survivor instead of that hierarchy of like, I'm educated in all this. You have to do it my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those trauma responses. Cause I think you brought up a good point that um, I think we all know them subconsciously in a way, but like to name them seems to really resonate with people. So let's name them and go through them. So when you talk about fight, obviously sort of self-explanatory, but you know, coming from a coach, how would you describe what that may look like to somebody? That's more of like the aggression, the, um, oh my gosh, I have it on my Pinterest, <laughs> what it all is. Um, it's just more like that angry side. You're like going defending yourself all the time. Um, I'm going to find it here. <laughs> no problem. Sort of like how men, I mean, men tend to I gravitate towards this sort of um, this sort of mechanism as a trauma response because we're taught that you know we need to show strength and courage and and um, that we won't back down and that we're still you know over over other people. So I think men definitely t- sort of gravitate more towards a fight sort of response when it comes to trauma. Yeah. It is. So that's like more of the explosive temper and outbursts, the controlling of others, um, the demands for perfection from others. The flight is where you get obsessive or compulsive behavior, feeling of panic and anxiety, over worrying, workaholic, you can't sit still, you know, you try to micromanage situations with other people and always on the go. Yeah, this is one I think a lot of people, um, in the mental health community sort of struggle from because sort of we, we might try to overcompensate um, the things that we're going through by helping other people. So we're like, we're just going to help other people and not worry about our own stuff and, and everything's going to be great. We're going to help. And, you know, it's wonderful, but if you're not taking care of yourself, um, you're not going to be really able to take care of other people. And this is one that really got to me where people are like, oh yeah, like, like over helping, like oh, is a trauma response. It's it's a and it's a flight response. And I find, I always found that one particularly interesting. Yeah, like mine out of the four. I'll get in the other two in a moment. But the flight was me. Mm-hmm. I always had to stay busy. I always had to stay on the go and doing something. And now, like I took last week off social media for a break, and I was still super busy. I'm like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> like I know I need to listen to myself, but I still had to jam pack. Yeah. Because when I ended up with COVID, everything got pushed back. And then I had all my medical testing all that happening at once. I'm like, okay, it's like I need a breather. Freeze is another one that we don't think of, but it's like the spacing out, the hibernating, isolating yourself from the outside world, dissociation, brain fog, you know, feels dead, lifeless. So a lot of times when we space out, we always, always have that excuse, right? I'm tired or something. Yeah. When it's like, no, no, like this is actually a trauma response, but people don't associate that because they're probably yeah. like, I don't have trauma, you know? And then fawn, these are the people pleasers. <laughs> um, they're scared to say what they really think, you know, they flatter all others, they over caring, um, angel of mercy, that can't stand up for themselves. They're easily exploited, exploited by others. They're the yes man or woman. So a lot of trauma survivors are also people pleasers. 
yeah, you don't want to upset people. Don't want to go through stuff again, you know, just want to keep everything good and smooth and easy. Uh, And that's another one. I think a lot of people fall into without recognizing Um, a lot of people tend to gravitate away from conflict, you know, hard conversations. Um, But again, we don't, we don't put that in the trauma response. And I don't think all these things too, for people who are listening, I don't think just because you exhibit one of these behaviors doesn't necessarily mean it's a trauma response, but these are like very good, clear indicators. Like "Mm, maybe something's going on and you should check in. For sure. And like the other thing with the people pleasers too, and all these responses is our abusers tell us lies and we get told to believe those lies. And now that we're in the healing stage or the recovery stage, it's trying to undo those lies. So like I was told that lie of I'll never be good enough. I'll never Mm. succeed. So I'm still breaking down those lies of I will succeed. I'm already succeeding. I am going to do well in this. So it's just also like setting those boundaries. And as I said, like you're unmasking yourself now in this journey, you're taking off that mask and really discovering who you are. And it can be really scary because you're all of a sudden like, I don't know who, who I am without my traumas. We get so used to living in a world that is normal to us in air quotes, but it's not normal. Do you think people over self may over self identify with their traumas um, and sort of like form their own identity around it? And I'm curious because something I've worked on extensively over the years is not making my life like only about being a mental health advocate. You know, that's obviously a very important part of my life. It's something I'm very passionate about, but I, I don't want to box myself in. Like I'm just the mental health guy, you know, um, I'm more than that. I have other interests and hobbies and I do things. And sometimes I find particularly young people these days, um, sort of cling to it as like a, an identity because maybe they found a community around it or you know that's how they have their voices heard and they receive the support like do you maybe find that is that is there something maybe in the literature that like is that even a trauma response in itself um you know what are your thoughts on that the first person asked me that um I haven't the seen hard-hitting questions <laughs> <laughs> i think like I have seen it too, where people cling to that identity because again, as trauma survivors, we're scared to really know who we are without that. And they could find such comfort in being that person, but they're not allowing themselves to grow into who they really are. Like I'm back to finding who I really am. And yes, I I say myself, I'm a trauma survivor. I'm a trauma coach. I am a speaker. But I'm also all these different other things. I'm a fur mom. I'm a fiance. I am a daughter, a sister. Mm-hmm. There's so much to our own identity. So when these people kind of cling onto this one identity, it's something that I feel like they're scared to acknowledge in themselves. Or they're scared to lose that community. Because once you find a community, it's like, oh my gosh, I simply belong. Like mm-hmm. in my community, I create it. I always like it's a private membership community, but it's like, if you feel like this is not meeting your needs anymore, that's perfectly fine because you are going to continue to grow. As we grow, we heal, we heal, we grow. I'm not the same person I was at the beginning of the year. I was not the same person I was a year ago, two years ago. So my community and group of people I have is always changing. So sometimes when people get stuck in that identity, It's like they're afraid to grow. They're afraid to lose who they've been for this X amount of time. And it's like that inner child is crying to be let out. Mm. And being like, because our inner child knows who we really want to be. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really an exclusive sort of social media phenomenon I think right because we we connect with people um, we might go viral with sharing a story or sort of offering our thoughts on a particular subject and we you know I, I, I'm sure you found that like right when you start sharing your story all of a sudden people are they're paying attention to you they're connecting they're being so nice and supportive you're like 
I never experienced this before. Like people have never been this nice to me. Uh, but as soon as I tell people how awful I'm feeling or the things that have happened, they're like, oh, then they all of a sudden start being nice. And I think that sort of, you know, helps us in, in a way, in a, in a moment, but you're right. Like the, the healing and growth part is such an important aspect to all of this, to the trauma, mental illness. Um, we should always be striving to move forward, to get better um, and not just sit in this place where sure we might be experiencing some external validation or support, but internally, like you said, like we're, we're crying inside, you know, we're, we're in pain, we're, suffering or lonely um and that's like my biggest concern sort of for like generation z and some of the younger folks who are growing up on apps like tiktok and instagram and i mean we could have a whole another episode about social media and, and its effects but that the the psychological sort of factors of it in in um niching us down to like these sort of bite-sized subjects um it just it does worry me that people might become resistant to sort of like losing that part of themselves. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you have to look at it as this is a chapter in your life. And then when you start to feel that uneasiness or that like, well, I'm starting to lose who I am. You're not completely losing who you are. It's that chapter is closing so you can grow into the next one. You can't move on to the next chapter if you're still rereading or rewriting the last one. And yes, like social media plays a huge role now in these days. And we get told to niche down. And I'm like, okay, well, my niche is women trauma survivors. I, I can't niche down to an actual kind of abuse. But eventually, like, there will be changes in my business as I grow. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, don't believe everything you see on social media. Like the influencers, you can definitely tell them apart from like people like you and I, because if they're putting always a positive spin on something or they're always showing up like happy, 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 they're, they're not going to be someone who's going to help you in your dream. Yeah. I almost find like we've moved past that um, sort of need, especially like the Instagram model of influencer. Like, I don't know, it just, it, it's so weird now. Um, I mean, this is a total side subject, um, but like, while well, it's on the top of my mind, just, you know, we have so much going on in the world and like, they're hopping on being like, here when this content, like, I get it, I get it. People want distraction. People want, um, you know, they don't want to go on social media and, and just see negativity all the time. I, I, I understand that part, but to me, sometimes it just seems so like, like tone deaf and you know, obtuse to like the world, like you don't even mention anything that's going on. You're just sort of like navigating like the world is like pretty in roses. Like, I don't know, just to me, I'm like, that doesn't resonate with me. It never really did, but it especially doesn't anymore. Yeah. And it's just so true. I, so many of us put on those rose colored glasses because we don't want to deal with our own past, our own, I don't want to say problems, but our own mental health. And that's why we usually put on those rose colored glasses yeah. and look for like those giveaways or those happy people or all that. But as soon as you come across someone who hits home, like when you did your podcast with Angelica, it really hit home for me. There was something you said that really hit me deep. And I'm like, I needed this. And sometimes if we don't realize when we see that person on social media or find that person on the internet, it's, it's life has a way of showing you who is meant to be in your life or what direction you need to be going in. And the more we fight it, the harder, like life is just going to be more resistant. I have literally been going through that myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, before I, I let you go um, for people who might be listening to this, who might find you on social media um you, you kind of mentioned you know some people want to set up that exploratory call and then get to that point and then they sort of like reschedule so I'm just um I don't know if you there's things you can't share or can't share but I'm going to ask the question anyway if there's something you can't answer no problem but what does sort of like that initial step look like when someone's like books an exploratory call to like you know start this journey um what could they expect from a call like that 
just to you know give someone like a heads up and like give them like sort of like a preview of what it would be like to work with you yeah so i do 30 minute free discovery calls and they're really just easy going there's no set agenda or anything i just say i always say like i love to get to know you what you're looking for your goals um just a really brief history because we do not i can't give coaching that time and then i just give an overview of myself and what i have to offer like the different services and everything and my fees and everything. And it's just pretty laid back. I just meet over video, like Zoom. And, you know, it's kind of like that get to know you. So it's like an interview, but it's not an interview. If that makes sense. Like going for a cup of coffee. Exactly. And it's just like, and if you really hit it off with the person, then give it a try. Like I always say, my services are also cheaper than therapy, like way cheaper. Like I'm not covered under insurance because yeah. I'm not regulated like that. But if it's something you want to try, give it a few sessions. Don't just say after one being like, I can't, like, this is not for me. Because the first session, I'm just gathering information, making sure you're in a safe space. And then getting some of that more of your history and everything. It's usually by the third, fourth ones where we really start to go into goals and different things, but it varies from client to client. Right. So I really just go with like the flow, but like, give it some time. Don't give up after the first, second or third one. But if you really can tell you're not a good fit or I don't have experience what you're looking for, I have an association of coaches I can turn to. Mm. I can coach worldwide so I can find someone in the States for you. I can find someone who's more of your niche or I, we can work together and I just lean into the community. Mm. Yeah, that's an important point. Um, and I know it happens with therapy all the time. You have like sort of a bad experience or like the first session's a little weird and it's not what you quite expect. Um, and people like sort of give up and it's like, no, 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 no. Like you're not just going to go to therapy and feel better. Um, you're not going to just do this and just like one session be like, wow, all fixed up. Thanks, April. Like it's, it's a process. It's time. It's ongoing. It's work. Mental health is work. Recovery and healing is work. And it's the unfortunate part. Um, it's not easy. Um, it's hard. And at times it's really hard. Um, but it's like, important. And like the benefit way outweighs any sort of, you know, heart like hardship that you might go through, like, like, right. It's like, it's important hardship because it's going to get you better. For sure. Like Uh, give it time. Yeah. Do you uh, just quickly, um, do you foresee like something like this, you know, maybe like becoming more like quote unquote mainstream being covered by insurance down the line? Like, do you, does it, does it seem like that sort of might be a, a future for this line of work or are people like still the establishment's built? still like you know hokey pokey about it uh it's kind of hard because here in Ontario you have to have your uh, colleges designated for it right um I know I think they're trying in the states because they're based in the states this program but it's just it's like life coaches life coaches aren't regulated but they're still well-known main like they're more mainstream now yeah but if I can see trauma recovery coaching I want growing I can see it becoming more of a not a norm but more of that like okay like we'll get you with a coach we'll get you with someone who knows how to do this it's just regulations it's such a sticky topic I've looked into it and it's like you have to have that regulated body in your province right. and because they're from the states it's a little bit stickier because we have coaches all across the world. And, but I like the fact that like not being regulated allows me to coach across the world. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I have conversations continuously about the lack of mental health support, I think we can all look to sort of, you know, alternatives and, and other things to help us um, along the way. Um, it, fills a, it fills a need. It fills a hole. It fills a gap of which we have and, and it helps people. So um, I think it's wonderful work and I appreciate that you sort of used the things that have happened and to go into it. If people want to like book you, uh, give you a call, um, follow you on social media, I know you're great on Instagram. 
where do where's all where you where where can we find you so the website is blossomingfromwithin.com and there's like links to go book on there and then on social media i'm on facebook and instagram at blossoming from within but there is no o in the from okay we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes april thank you so much again um thank you for being open and vulnerable um Again, I I know it's not easy and I know having to rethink about those things are not easy. So I do really appreciate um, you considering this a safe space to do so. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.